Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Sage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're talking with Brian Terrell, because he made a pivot from his traditional business model to a subscription business model. So we're going to get the ins and outs of that. Hey, Ed, how's it going? It's going great, Ron. Looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Let me read Brian's biography and then we'll get him in. Brian Terrell founded the B. T- the B. Terrell Group in 1991 and oversees management and strategy for this Dallas-based provider of Sage Intact financial management software. Born in Plainview, Texas, he grew up on a farm where he learned the importance of a strong work ethic and conservative principles. He received his Bachelor of Science degree from Texas A&M University before starting a career with Arthur Anderson and Company. In February of 91, Brian and his wife Nancy began practicing public accounting with Terrell and Terrell CPAs. Within a year, the firm refocused all professional services exclusively on accounting software and business automation and eventually rebranded as B. Terrell Group in 2008. Brian rides 125 miles a week as an avid cyclist, and I can't even drive that far in a week, and, and ride leader for the Plano Bicycle Association. He and his wife, Nancy, live in Dallas and recently celebrated the birth of their third grandchild. Brian Terrell, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. Thank you, Ron. I'm glad to be here. How did you go from farming to CPA? <laughs> I was influenced by my uh, older sibling who uh, graduated uh, and without a, a desire to, to go into farming, she uh, took a job with Arthur Anderson. And so in the early 80s, you'll remember interest rates were sky high. The farming economy looked scary to me. Uh, I never had the real interest in watching things grow that really a farmer should have. I was just more about the tractors and the automation that was, uh, you know, a part of our uh, environment then. But it was spooky. And so I looked at my sister, who was a manager then at Arthur Anderson, and decided, hey, I'll take a a bunch of uh, accounting hours and give myself an opportunity to have some options and eventually took that option. And when did you start with AA? It would have been uh, May or June of 1984 right out of college. That is amazing. I started with Pete Mark in July of 84. Were you uh, in what town? San Francisco. Okay. Well, I knew the the Texas partners in Houston and the leaders of those offices. And so uh, that would have been an interesting connection if you'd have known those guys. I bet. Yeah. You know, my, my former partner, Justin Barnett, who still runs the firm, he started in AA Houston and he did know a lot of those guys that were, you know, affected and involved with Enron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was fascinating. So that means you went through the double doors and went to St. Charles. I did go to St. Charles. Uh, I did go through the double doors and, you know, I spent a lot of my time in St. Charles 
looking across the hall at the guy, at the folks that we called wireheads. Did you call them wireheads? No. <laughs> that was the uh, the folks that were in the consulting division, and gotcha. I. And uh, I just I, I'd look over there and I'd say, what are those guys and those gals doing? And uh, sort of felt a bit misplaced. But uh, eventually, and this was really helpful for my career at Arthur Anderson and sustaining me there. I, uh, I got involved in a, a Lotus one, two, three a development process using the macro language to create a set of electronic work papers. Mm-hmm. And this was done during the off season and it was fascinating to me and i enjoyed every minute of it that's cool you know pete mark when i joined they had bought a bunch of macs and they were doing the audit papers on macintoshes it was they had their own proprietary software it was it was really cool so that's how i got into macs i never used a pc my entire professional career i started with macs wow (laughs) um so you started, and, and then you left uh, AA and you started your own firm in 91. Did you, did you stop anywhere in between? Yeah, I was in industry uh, for a couple of years. I worked for Trammell Crow Company. And, uh, 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 you know, one day th- they sort of turned the lights out in the state of Texas on the real estate business. And uh, our office was a casualty of that. And uh, I found myself working in what you might remember as the uh, Southwest plan institutions, which were just really big government financed property management companies uh, on a, on a, on a uh, contract basis while I was trying to figure out what to do. My wife had a, what we would call today a contract controller engagement with a local uh, small business and I looked over at her and I saw she's making more money than I am. <laughs> and so I went to the I went to the owner of that company and I said, I'd like to trade places with my wife. And he said, that's fine, but uh, I'm only going to pay you twenty five hundred dollars a month and not the three thousand dollars I was paying her. So that was a bit of a setback. But I thought, gee, it'll give us an opportunity uh, to uh, to uh, be in business for ourselves. And that's how that's how that happened. That's awesome. And I have to ask you, Brian, because I, I was asked this recently. It's just kind of stuck in my mind. If you were starting your practice over, what would you do differently? Well, I had a really uh, interesting beginning. I, that was a $2,500 a month recurring revenue engagement. It was difficult. You know, it was a really difficult way to make a living. Because we, we couldn't do it remotely. We had to go and, and do that on site. Right. Quickly, I found another engagement. I believe that one was not that large, but maybe $1,200. And I had to. I had uh, one daughter, two years of age, and another one to be born in a couple of months. So I had to find more revenue. But it was all recurring revenue that, that I was creating. You know, this was the beginning of client accounting services. It just was difficult because we would sit in traffic and, 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 and you know, struggle with having to be on site and then struggle with having to hire somebody to leverage or scale. So that it wasn't always me on site. But if I had to do all over again, I might have never have left that part of that business. I I loved, or I do love automation. It's my first love and it developed out of that initial engagement. Uh, uh, 
but I think I would still, I would still be doing, you know, I would still, I would have cultivated that aspect of the business because I see, you know, how valuable it is as a recurring revenue service today. Right. So, so like cast today, you can see why people are going into it. Right. And I didn't know what I had. I had 10,000 maybe dollars a month by the end of the year in recurring revenue and, and had no idea of how valuable that was. Right. And within a year or so of your starting the practice, you kind of pivot into technology, accounting technology and installations. Yeah. You'll remember uh, that, uh, you know, one of the challenges that I had and that first engagement was processing 500 invoices a month. So they would roll off the printer and I would hand key them in. And then uh, if all things went right, I had to hand key 500 receipts against those invoices. And I needed to get out there and find some additional revenue because I had my second child on the way. So I called up the uh, person who wrote the software that produced the invoices. I asked him if he could create a download in CSV format for those invoices. Then I wrote a program in Clipper to translate those and enter them into the predecessor of my Sage accounting program today, thereby recapturing all of that, you know, at least half of the time that I was spending so that I could go out and find uh, more uh, business. And that's when I realized that's what I love to do. Wow, Brian, you're taking me back to the days that we had to input the tax returns on the worksheets and then send them off to a tax service. Remember that? Yes. Oh, geez. Um, okay, so then you you made a pivot recently. I, I don't know when, but your your pivot to subscription. When, when did that happen and why did you do it? What was the motivation? You know, I got interested in the subscription revenue model. Uh, it you know, probably it probably all began in Atlanta 15 years ago when I attended yours and Ed's firm of the future class there and uh, was introduced to the recurring software uh, support agreements that we used to call KAAs, knowledge access agreements. This inspired sort of a, you know, beginning and real interest that's continued with me to today in pricing and revenue management. Uh, You know, I, subsequently sort of learned uh, that my biggest successes in business have always been relationship, business relationship successes. They've never been sales and marketing successes or, you know, uh, marketing dominant successes or anything like that. So this subscription revenue model certainly aligns well with that uh, ability that I've shown to create value from business relationships. And then the pandemic comes along that provided, you know, both motivation and time to think about new ways of doing business. And I had uh, a a colleague inspire me by sharing how he was uh, offering uh, an implementation as a service to my knowledge. That's the only person I've ever ran across since ever that, that does that other than, than what we're doing. Certainly there could be others, but there were only two in process or in person prospect meetings that I had from March 2020 to December 2020. And the first one was in May. I proposed a project, the old traditional method, you know, which was big check up front for the software subscription, one to two times that amount 
for the implementation. I created uh, three options in excruciating detail, and I, I believe I ran that customer off entirely. So the next in-person and the last in-person prospect meeting I had a couple of months later, I said, man, we got to do some things differently. So I proposed in an open board meeting, there were 15 folks, a monthly price for everything but the software. That's implementation, development, reporting, some managed services that we offered, a marketplace partner product that was our IP that we threw into that deal. Everything but the actual software subscription. Made that proposal in front of that board, sat back, and held my breath. <laughs> and they invited me back. And we have since made that deal. So it really inspired me. And I picked up the pace from there. And, and that was a new customer, a new prospect. That was a new logo, new customer. And have you tried this with any current customers? You know, that's been one of the great uh, unintended benefits that I never thought about. We have been able to go back to existing customers and really uh, have some great success in signing existing customers up. And, uh, you know, I would consider that as, uh, you know, a, 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 a surprise. I hadn't thought about that. And it also a bit of an indictment, really, because this whole uh, model of doing business exposes some of the weak points that our traditional model has and that I was participating in. And so I'm I'm thankful to be addressing that now. That's awesome. Well, I'm sure Ed's going to have more questions on that as we continue. But unfortunately, we're up against our first break. And folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to ask TSOE at Verisage.com. Do check out our Patreon channel where you can become a subscriber. And that is at Patreon.com slash TSOE. That channel is now sponsored by 90 Minds. Be kind to your mind hire one. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsor. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for us at keyword voice America. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Thank you. 
Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcast and download Oh, oh my, my fraud. fraud. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and we are back with the founder or one of the founders of the Tail group brian terrell and sage intact partner brian i wanted to pick up where ron left off a little bit and ask you this question, because it's something that I get asked often, but I want your take, because you probably have a better better explanation than, than I do on this. What's the difference between a subscription and taking an annual price and dividing it by 12? Uh, you know, an annual price divided by, by 12 is really a financing model, right? It's just a different way of collecting uh, a non-relationship-oriented uh business transaction. Uh, we used to talk about those KAAs and, uh, you know, the difference between a KAA and a subscription support agreement uh, in part is the fact that it focuses on a relationship and that the service range is wider. We're really offering to that customer uh, the, the opportunity to do, you know, a service commitment of anything that we can do that as Ron calls, we can provide uh, with due care. We don't want to make a commitment that exceeds, you know, our capabilities. Uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, those 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 twelve. You know, if 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 it were an annual price for a recurring uh, support agreement, and it were divided by twelve and put into a monthly uh, sort of framework, I think it'd be pretty close, you know, to an ongoing subscription for technical support, as long as the relationship focus was there and the service range was as wide as, as what we propose. And what has been some of the reaction that you've gotten from some of your fellow Sage partners that you've talked to about doing this? Hmm. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I feel like they have uh, all been supportive and maybe watching me from afar. And uh, I've gotten some questions and uh, but I, ha I haven't seen a lot of uh, folks following, you know, I, I uh, one of the things that happened in that pandemic year that helped inspire my interest in the uh, subscription revenue model was I was the content planning committee chairperson for the ITA and and took some of the pre pandemic presentations uh, that you made around the subscription revenue model as inspiration for some of the content that we were going to have and, and, and include in that. And uh, I provided as a part of that uh, the documents that I had created and presented in that board meeting that I referred to earlier. Uh, so uh, I haven't had really a lot of questions uh, on that. And so I really think everybody's sort of waiting to see, you know, I may be on the right side of history, or I may not. 
we just don't know. And uh, maybe they're watching to see how that falls. And you've gone over to all subscription for all new 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 uh, logo customers, as you you call them, right? You haven't you haven't gone back. Have you been asked to go back to do it a different way by some by a by a prospect? We have uh, resisted uh, moving back. Uh, I have had that question asked. Uh, it's been asked at a point where uh, it was really clear that this was not a good customer for us. So it was it was it's tempting to want to uh, uh, back away from 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 the the principle, right? But uh, I, I don't think that that we have have or did it in that particular case. So yeah, I've been asked for that, but I haven't uh, really done that yet. Okay, I hope I don't. I hope you don't. Well, I, I hope you don't too. And it's been 18 months, right? Since your first one. Is that, that about right? That's about right. And what's been the conversation with the, the first set that you've done that are now more than a year old? I'm curious as to what, what's going on, the, the conversations, because that's another question that I get, especially from someone who's p- potentially offering what you are, which is uh, the implementation by subscription. Well, what happens after they're implemented? Aren't they going to want a lower price? You know, that whole implementation as a subscription part of this conversation, you know, part of this model is, is the most difficult for me as well. However, uh, to this point, and we've only been through a partial renewal cycle, uh, we have had uh, no, no problems in getting 100% renewals. Uh, and so maybe, maybe folks are remembering, hey, I didn't write that big check up front. And we're living on the grace of that. And that, you know, will uh, be challenged later on uh, and maybe, but maybe not. Who knows? We'll see. But you are doing stuff to add to the offering, right? You're uh-huh. adding new stuff to the subscription. So talk a little bit about that. Right. One of my favorite uh, brainstorming sessions, the thing that I think about a lot is what you guys call plussing the subscription. Uh, and uh, uh, it's just a, it's just a, a really a fun process. Uh, the, the big plus that we've made since we began talking about this was we have three what are called marketplace partner products. They are displayed on our software publishers app marketplace and are available to the entire uh, Sage customer base for implementation. And uh, they're, they're, they all have a price, you know, of two or three thousand dollars per year. And uh, some sort of, uh, 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 you know, we, we have been charging a, an implementation price on that and that I'm really opposed to anymore. I want to get away from that and we're working on that, which is, once again, the implementation conversation that I imagine that we will have. But uh, what we did is we said for every customer that is a, 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 a subscriber to our uh, soft, uh, subscription revenue support agreements, we call them members. Actually, every member uh, can uh, re- has the benefit of receiving those applications at no charge, no cost for implementation. We'll set them up. We'll we'll run them, it, and it's a, it's a really great uh, thing to put into the agreement. Even though they are highly focused and that they don't apply to everybody, but it's a great plus. And I've got ideas for other great pluses, and I really hope that we're always doing that. Yeah, and that but I really love the fact that you guys are are taking that to heart because that I think that's one of the secrets to this long term relationship piece. So, uh, kudos to you for your, on that. 
I want to turn a, a little bit now to the internal piece, because I think this is something that's often ne neglected. What's been the reaction of the folks inside your organization as you made this transition? The, it, let me ask it a little bit differently. Did they think you were crazy too? <laughs> they, we've got great folks, the greatest folks. So uh, I, they may have thought I was crazy and they may still think that I'm crazy, but they're just not admitting it to me. We do. Uh, the difference between me and them is that I'm a, I'm a devoted listener to your and other podcasts. So I'm thinking about this as I drive to work. I'm thinking about this as I'm driving home. I'm reading about it. You know, I'm constantly taking in information about it. So I'm my uh, acceptance of it and adoption of it uh, mentally is far ahead of theirs. So I bring them along slowly and have to do that and have had, you know, sometimes I'm challenged in conversations, internal conversations that we'll have because they, they, they don't instantly, you know, see the value in it that I see, but I have to remember that they're not driving to work thinking about it. They're not listening to uh, Ed and Ron talk about it and they're not uh, reading some of the literature that I've read, but yeah, there's a bit of challenge there, but I got to tell you, they have, they are really coming along. Well, one thing on that, did you have to make any adjustments to your, your compensation model, either for your consulting folks or your salespeople because of the tr transition to subscription? We've only begun to talk about that. You know, where we used to bonus when we made a net profit, now we're talking about bonusing on new annual recurring revenue, which is just as smart uh, as, of an alignment uh, tactic as is the whole subscription revenue model is a intelligent alignment uh, tactic between our firm and the customer. So I think it's, it's a really good conversation that we're engaged in right now. So you're talking, is that specifically on the sales side or more on the consulting side? Uh, it would be more, it would be across the board, okay. right? Because everybody's involved in, it should be involved in, in the goal of increasing annual recurring revenue year over year. Mm -hmm. Did you have any active pushback from people? I, I know your folks are great, but was there anybody who's like, Brian, uh, I don't know about this. I really, I'm not sure if I can work under this re regime, so to speak. Nope. Never had that. Never really? Had that. That's great. That's great. Nope. That's because you hire well, Brian. That's, that's the reason right there. <laughs> well, I, you know, I have a lot of great help with that as well. <laughs> um. I, I want to, and this is a little bit unfair because we've got about 90 seconds left and perhaps Ron can pick up on this, but you, you sent us an email or I think, I think it sent it to me and then I, I forwarded on to Ron talking about your idea of thinking about that, the, the, the concern over thinking about that initial implementation, big payment that you used to get and starting to consider that as a cost of goods sold. Why, why would you, why would you think that that's the, the, the right way to go with that? Well, I, it's, it's really a, a, a out of frustration. I don't know what to do with that. That's the subscription revenue topic that I most struggle with. And I don't have any answers, only questions, which is why mm -hmm. I welcome a conversation about it. Then the struggle is tactical. I mean, we're inventing pricing. We're inventing documentation. We're inventing marketing. We're inventing these compensation plans that relate to it. And fitting a non-recurring big number like implementation uh, within a monthly subscription sort of model is really challenging. Not only is it challenging from just figuring out how to tactically do it, it potentially uh, 
compounds the whole, you know, swallowing the fish sort of trough that we have to negotiate. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that's a great point. But you, you seem to have been making strides on that. 18 months to two years is the swallow the fish time frame, Brian. So you, you're almost you're almost through the full swallow the fish period. Let's hope that uh, you get there quickly. But we are up against our next break. want to remind you, you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, we have the website, The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Our Patreon channel, as Ron mentioned, is sponsored by 90 Minds, but go to patreon.com slash TSOE if you want to hear the episode commercial free and also our bonus episodes and just a little insider information. Brian is one of our patrons. So thank you, Brian, for that. But right now, a word from our sponsor. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercial commercials plus bonus content go to patreon.com slash tsoe subscribe now and be free you're worth it this is the voice america influencers channel be inspired We're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Brian Terrell from the uh, B. Terrell Group. And Brian, you were talking with Ed about swallowing the fish and some of those other issues. I loved it. Um, can you just tell us about the psychological what it what does subscribing to your firm do to the customer from a psychological perspective because i think there's a huge psychological difference between entering into a transaction with the professional or getting a, a bunch of services versus subscribing to their firm and it's not something that's that we can easily articulate or explain have you been able to figure out any differences that you see I think uh, one of the advantages of the subscription revenue model, other than the obvious, and this is to us, other than the obvious, obvious one of building a book of annual recurring revenue is that it aligns us with the customer's interests more directly. Uh, the, we, we, we are engaging in contractual 
service commitments on which recurring revenue relies. That's in the customer's best interest. We are making that point from the very beginning of our, uh, you know, interaction with them. We want them to know that we are not the guys that uh, they've done business with before. And most of our prospects now have been through this cycle once. And you can tell one out of 10, maybe one out of 20 haven't. But, and they stand out because they sound like folks that we, you know, worked with uh, 20 years ago, but now that's not true. And I, and, and, and so though that's been a rocky experience, right? Ed used to call it the equivalent of open heart, the business equivalent of open heart surgery. <laughs> and so we, uh, we, you know, the, the other thing that I think they recognize and we want to, we don't tell them this, but I think su subtly they realize that growing a book of annual recurring revenue reduces our pressure to focus on the next logo acquisition, which is in our current customer's best interests. Right. And, and, and then there's, you know, there's a lot of tension that leaves uh, when they, when they realize that they don't have to go through that whole process of that, all the friction associated with a new project. Right. And so they're going to be able to pick up the phone and not have to get it cleared you know, in, in, uh, all the way up to the, 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 the corner, uh, office, uh, you know, about whether or not they can engage us in an, an improvement that they think they need. It takes away a gate. I think they all appreciate that either they get that or they're not, there, there are customers that don't care about a relationship. They only care about relief. Right, and right. we figure that we figure that out pretty quickly. They're not interested and they go a different direction. Sure. But those aren't the customers you want anyway. You're interested in the relationship. Right. Yeah. That cognitive load that we, that we put on our customers, even with value pricing, we're still putting a cognitive load. Are you going to do this next project with us? And what if there's scope creep and all this other stuff, but they've already made the decision to subscribe. Now it's just do the work, do what they need and just offer that room you know, create that recurring value. And I just think I, you're absolutely right. It aligns the uh, interests much better than even value pricing. Do, do you also find it, Brian, a competitive advantage in that if they are considering, you know, competitors to you and maybe they have proposals or whatever, that it's very hard to compare your offering to the competition who might be doing it by the hour or even value pricing with options? Yeah, it, it is a huge differentiator. I've never, I have never in the last 18 uh, months had anyone say, oh, this is just like the, uh, another proposal that I have. And I, and I asked that question. Uh, I want to know that this is one of a kind, right? Because, you know, we are early on in this, in, in this model for our industry and, uh, advantaged really by our small size and our ability to adopt it. Uh, you know, we're, we're either on the right side of history or we're going to find out that we're on the wrong side and I can't wait to find out, but it is fun to be, uh, uh, so different and, uh, and, uh, he hear reactions, uh, that confirm that. That's awesome. All the pioneers take the arrows, right? Um, what is it? How has it helped your pricing power? 
because Ed and I really do believe that subscription gives you the poss- the potential to double or go multiple of four or five times your your you know your prior price. Have you found that? Have you found better pricing power with this model? Uh, I have. I, th- I, th- I. That's hard to say. I haven't uh, felt like uh, absent. You know, a, 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 a full customer lifetime value that we're. This is something that we come out way ahead in, on. Uh, in the short term, it's definitely not that, right? Because we're missing those two big checks up front. Over time, we have customers that we have worked with for 15 and 20 years. Those should be really rewarding uh, in uh, uh, relation, business relationships. To, and to the extent that, that they be, remain members uh, throughout that entire time period, then, you know, we will have, uh, we will have, uh, really uh, benefited by that, but I would like to think that they will have benefited by it as well. Otherwise, they won't remain members. Right. And um, the thing that Ed asked you about regarding your, you sent us a question about implementation costs. Are they, are they regular cost of goods as, as traditional Gap would say, or are they more customer acquisition costs as a subscription model accounting might argue? And I have to say, when I when I looked at your question, I thought that's a really good point. If you have dedicated team member or some portion of team members that are doing implementation, then yeah, classify it as customer acquisition. Is it any different than AOL? You know, uh, mailing out you know a billion discs to get people to sign up. Yeah, or my internet service provider. You know. It, we had a big storm on Thursday morning. My internet was down. And so uh, it got me to thinking about what was the, you know, initial implementation cost of my internet for that particular service provider. And how did they treat that? We know it's non-recurring, <laughs> right? And uh, today, if I go to their website, they're, they're throwing that in. They make a big deal about how, you know, they're throwing that in. Uh, along with three months of Apple TV, a mesh router system, and a two hundred dollar Visa reward card, right? So, is that what is that? Uh, how is that different than the two hundred dollar Visa reward card? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question, and it's 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 also a cop out, Ron, because I can't figure out how else to manage it. It's yeah. a real hard question. It's I a big number. It's a big number, and formally a number, the margin on which we relied on. But you know what? I think that once the fish is swallowed, we won't rely on that anymore. And won't that be a great thing? Yeah, yeah. Because then you point out too that um, you know one of the one of the KPIs that like venture capitalists and others use is that comparing customer lifetime value to cost of acquisition, uh, cost of customer acquisition, and they look for a three to one ratio. In other words, your your customer lifetime value should be greater than three times your cost of acquisition for a customer. And the best subscription models have an eight to one oh, ratio. Yeah. And, and you said four to one was daunting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if you classify installations as customer acquisition as opposed to how Gap would do it, then you're going to deteriorate that ratio. 
you know, that's just accounting, Brian. To me, what matters is as long as your bucket's not leaking, as long as your churn isn't going up or whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, that, that ratio you're talking about just really needs to be above one, right? right. Because every dollar I spend then re- uh, returns more than a dollar in right. recurring, recurring revenue. Right. Yeah, Teen, teen Zoe from Zor has got this great quote. I forget it exactly, but he said, look, he said, I, I don't mind looking at a subscription uh, company's income statement and see that they plow back all their profits mm-hmm. into building recurring revenue as long as the bucket's not leaking too bad, mm-hmm. as long as your churn is within reason. And like you said, once you get a few years under your belt of modeling this stuff and, and tracking it, you'll have a track record that will allow you to predict it better. And, and a real churn estimate that should uh, uh, affect the calculation of customer lifetime value to prevent you know, overdoing it. Do you, because one of the things I think that makes this so interesting, somebody pointed out that, you know, we, we, we keep track of costs because they're so easy to keep track of because they're on our income statement, but we don't have customer lifetime value sitting in any of our reporting. Have you found a way to model customer lifetime value? I know you're early days into this, but do you have like a formula that you look at that you're trying to track over time to watch Defin- the trend? Definitely. And we have, we have some, uh, customers that have, have much more experience uh, with the subscription revenue model that we are uh, demonstrating that calculation to. Mm-hmm. And before our firm, we're working to get those numbers uh, on our own dashboard. It's just one of the really unintended benefits. There's a lot of unintended benefits from this that I've experienced. One of them is, is you know, not only are we aligned in you know, the customer's best interest in the ways that we've talked about, we're modeling some of our very best customers' uh, business practices. We're doing them internally. So these are the best customers out there today, the, the, the uh, subscription revenue customers. And, and our software publisher is on point in the functionality required to properly uh, manage that. And if we're doing it in-house and I can start living it, I will no longer uh, feel like I understand it uh, in a moment of clarity, go to lunch and come back and say, what was I so convinced about? Uh, If I live it, I'll get over that. And that's another great thing for our business. Do you use any specific software to track? I know there's some KPIs out there for subscription that kind of fit over the accounting system and suck up the data. Do you use anything like that? Yeah, our software, Sage Intact, was uh, one of the very first programs to uh, mid-market programs to uh, adopt the ASC 606, uh, mm-hmm. you know, compliance change. I think it was 2016 and 17-ish right. when that happened. And there was a couple of years there, on where we had to keep track under 605 and 606. Right. Now, I'm in, I'm in dangerous territory when I start quoting FASB sort of numbers like that. So let's keep me uh, between the guardrails. But I will say 
that we astounded some of our prospects. And it's to the credit of those original developers at Sage Intech that we were so well prepared functionally with technology in order to deliver that value. We have a great application that not only keeps track of the uh, financial and non-financial information in order to calculate churn, but also has a uh, information delivery dashboard that makes it to where I don't have to do anything other than uh, open up my browser every morning to find out what my churn is for that up to that day. Mm. It's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was also going to ask you, maybe Ed can ask you this, but uh, what other KPIs do you look at besides the financial ones? Are there any that you just like customer satisfaction, NPS score, anything else that you look at that you don't get from a financial statement? And we do have uh, a lot of uh, net promoter score activity. I see it every quarter. Part of that uh, is assisted, you know, because of the the uh, because of the involvement of our software publisher, and that's all great. Uh, and internally, we have uh, service level agreement metrics that relate to a system that we have for a, a ticket portal, a ticket portal mm-hmm. that you know in, helps us. Uh, determine whether or not we're in compliance with those agreements or not. Gotcha. Well, Brian, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, Ed's going to take you the rest of the way home. But I just wanted to say thank you. This has been really informative. And we'll have to have you back on and track your progress. But folks, in the meantime, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. I did mention our Patreon channel. And at a certain level, if you, if you subscribe, you can get a shout out, on the, shout out on the show, as did Mark Gandy. And Mark Gandy hosts the CFOBookshelf.com, his podcast, where he has great guests. Great, It's a great program. Mark does a great job uh, interviewing authors. I think you'll really enjoy that podcast. And now we want to hear from our sponsor and Ed's employer, Sage. us on twitter at voice america trn get the lowdown on guests new shows and your favorites that's voice america trn sage provides accountants with compliance reporting and analytic solutions to do more for their clients these solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! 
Have you listened to so many of my ads that it's corroded your soul? I absolutely have. What if I told you that you could listen to my voice for an entire podcast? I'd say that approximately half of the podcast is actually my voice. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. And I'm Caleb Newquist. We're launching a new podcast called Oh My Fraud. Ron and Ed explore the soul of enterprise. Caleb and I explore fraud, which is more like the herpes of enterprise. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and download Oh, oh my, my fraud. fraud. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Our guest today is Brian Terrell of the B. Terrell Group. And by the way, you can find them on the web at bterrell.com. So take a look. If you've liked what you heard today, give uh, and Brian and his team a call. Brian, I want to pick up on, on something that, that you were talking about with, with Ron in the, in the prior segment. And you mentioned some unintended benefits that have happened to you. Uh, give, give me another example of an unintended benefit. Yeah. You know, I have uh, discovered and just come to this conclusion over the last couple of days that uh, one of the unintended benefits of uh, having a subscription revenue model is that uh, customers who are formerly seen as uh, maybe not worth our time, and, and that sounds awful. I hate to even say that. So I really rather refer to them as underappreciated prospects, right? They have, uh, you know, when I'm when I when I am not served well as a customer, I begin to look around, and those customers call us up. The software subscription is already tied to somebody, either Sage directly or to another business partner. Uh, therefore, a Sage direct customer who calls needing help. It, it it feels like more of a duty. I need to go through discovery, quoting, uh, documentation for a one and done project, and then hope, hope that something else comes on later against which I can amortize those costs, those startup costs, uh, you know, against. Now, all of a sudden, under the subscription revenue model, a Sage direct customer who calls needing help is a recurring revenue opportunity. Changes everything thereby effectively converting an unappreciated prospect into a highly desirable prospect and probably, surely, hopefully a much better Sage customer. And I was going to say, and, and, and speaking as the Sage employee uh, on, on this as well, in the end, helpful to us because it's, it's keeping that, that customer happy from our perspective as well. Yeah, it, it it is, and the other thing that occurs to me that didn't occur to me, it I didn't I didn't start this thinking. Oh, I'm going to learn these things. But here's one another thing I've learned: are I've become aware of the extent to which uh, customers are are underserved by the existing model. We we sell our software early and often on the reporting and dashboarding and underlying architecture which makes the reports and, and, and dashboards so wonderful. The, the dimensional uh, chart of accounts that is, you know, it took me a while to wrap my mind around that as well. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the, 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 the current model, the way the implementation 
you, we used to do it, and I think it's still done uh, primarily, rarely fulfills on that value proposition. And it's nobody's fault. It's just that the project, the implementation project is too short. You know, the dashboarding and report development uh, uh, process, it, it becomes a, it should be a process and not an event. And it's a, it's, a, it's a process because QuickBooks and legacy on-premises customers, they don't know how to participate in creating what's possible because they don't know what's possible. They've seen a demo. They know that they desire it, but they don't really know how to develop that. And, and then implementation fatigue sets in. I've got to reconcile the bank account. I've got to close the books. And the friction that we talked about earlier against ongoing engagement in, uh, encourages you know, sort of customer paralysis. And, and then some of it's our fault. We had that focus on new logo acquisition, which says, holy cow, if I don't, if I don't capture the next customer, I'm not going to be able to survive under the old model. That's no. not the new model. Yeah, I, I refer to that as leaving them at the top of the mountain. You know, the implementation as, as a summit where you get, you get to the top of the mountain, you get them implemented, and then you helicopter off. And say, you know, good luck, <laughs> good luck getting down, right? And and it and because they've run out of money in the old either billable hour or even sometimes in the, in the the value price model, they've it's it, it, they want you want to move on to the next one. But Brian, we only got about two minutes left, and I want to pivot the conversation just because I know you to be a, a, a thinker about this stuff in the future. What's what's the future of ERP software? What's what what do you think? What do you think is what's going to be there five maybe even ten years out? Have you what, what's your thinking on that? Sometimes I uh, think that maybe we're going to uh, experience sort of the sort of a one of the value propositions of of blockchain technology, uh, an immutable, uh, uh, indelible, non repudiable ledger. We're in the ledger business. You, me, and Ron, we're in the ledger business. So that development of blockchain technology really impacts us. And to have a, an infallible uh, record of, I guess the word might be provenance, mm -hmm. uh, which has never been available before, has a lot of application in our business. So it might be that someday, instead of selling a cloud-based application, uh, f a financial management application that runs in a data center that you know Sage maintains and runs in my browser. We we may be offering a, a, a subscription probably to a, a service that records our transactions uh, on a blockchain ledger that uh, is uh, has an um, immediate impact on uh, a lot of accounting uh, related uh, uh, you know uh, uh, compliance activities now. I mean, if uh, these transactions are in that type of ledger, the, when, when I think about it, an audit is primarily a, an exercise in uh, 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 proving that an intermediary ledger confirms the accuracy of a primary ledger, a primary ledger being my ledger in my system and an intermediary ledger being one created by somebody else. So to be able to prove my primary ledger's accuracy, we we'll, we go and we reconcile it to tons of intermediary ledgers. The blockchain would remove all that, and that would be quite a quite a development. That'll be very interesting, Brian. Well, we'll have to come back and maybe t dedicate an episode just to that. But thank you so much for appearing on the Soul of Enterprise. Really appreciate it, Brian. Ron, what do we got next week? Next week, Ed, we have Susan Bryant and Janet Haston from uh, MB Group. 
which is in your neck of the woods. So really looking forward to talking to them. Yes, absolutely. They're actually not too far from where Brian is. So it's going to be like maybe an all Texas month here at, yeah, no uh, kidding. at Sullivan Prize. All right, Ron, well, I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com for more information on each show and also shows coming up. And also you can contact Ed or me at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next week. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network.